Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. I'm Jen Taylor and today I'm expecting to have a lot of fun. I am with Dom Brightman. How are you today, Dom? Doing fabulous. Doing fabulous. How's the Jen feeling? I'm awesome. Your name is like Dom Perignon, right? That's right. Feel free to drink all of me if you want to. I'm chocolate. Are you going to let people know what that means? Or we'll just, no, actually, there's a picture attached. Your website's attached. Your website <laughs> is dombrightman.vip. Oh, yeah, that's right. Very important podcaster, yeah. Very important <laughs> podcaster. Tell me about the website. I have it up, but for people who aren't familiar. Oh, yeah. So, DomBrightman.vip. So, yeah, kind of like before the whole magical record button. Got these two magic websites. One's the mobile version. One's the regular version. Uh, working on this whole Wix migration process out of, how uh, should I say, Exodus. <laughs> In the mobile version, it's great because it's like, yeah, what if you want to know something about me, it's right there. Contact page, social media, the podcast itself. Of course, Jen was on the wonderful podcast as well, The Warrior Princess, indeed, or should I say The Warrior Queen was on the podcast. And it's just really awesome. So right now what I'm doing is just promoting both my books as well as future speaking engagements as well as future projects as well. I'm also a member of the John Maxwell team. It becomes official at the end of August 2019, so looking forward to that as well. It's going to be a big, big case. Looking forward to networking with a whole bunch of wonderful people and continuing to put steroids in my personal development. Oh, I love that. Tell me what the John Maxwell program is. I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, so for those who don't know and have been living under five rocks, John Maxwell is the world's number one leadership expert. He is a New York Times bestselling author of probably like 10 out of his 80 plus books and counting. And he's probably like, I think he's like 76 now. He's like in his early 70s now. He started off as a young preacher out in Indiana and grew his, grew up and became this great pastor with one of the top 10 growing churches to the nation multiple times in California and became a full-time just leadership coach, teacher, and instructor. And he calls himself a motivational teacher. And those who are part of his team, he likes to call us his legacy legs because after he's gone, he still has folks that are still teaching the stuff that he learned in his life journey as well. And his books have really inspired me to really get on the personal development track. And I'm like, you know what? I got a couple friends in the team. They seem to enjoy it. They I hear nothing but good things about it. He's my favorite author of all time. So you know what? I was going to invest in it, invest in myself. It's a great opportunity. Looking forward to networking with others, reconnecting with some old friends, and just growing like a giant tree. <laughs> that is the way to do it. His name, of course, I know who he is, but I didn't know what his program was. So that's very cool. Yeah, soon to be certified disc instructor. So different types of leadership too. So uh, <laughs> the DIC. So it's kind of like the Myers Briggs in a way, but it's like with more like leadership, like the like the D. I believe that is direct, kind of like the D's, the people like the D in charge, like the top three percent of the folks. The I, the influencer, that's me. I'm usually the guy talking with other folks, getting them to join the party, the parade, or whatever. The C, the S, that's usually for the supporter. That's about a good. Eh, 30, 60% of the U.S. folks just like to support, usually the nurses, other folks who like to help other people in the sea. These are, I forgot the sea, to be honest. That, that's why it's soon to be distraught. I'm not fully in there yet. I like three different books I'm reading at a time. But yeah, the sea is usually the accountants, the number crunches, those who love detail and love attention to detail. Like software for whatnot. So being able to administer that as well too. 
I took the disc test uh, maybe five years ago. I actually know what I am. So uh, what? See, I didn't know that was it. I love tests. I love taking quizzes about yourself because I think it's a huge part of self-development. And I know some people feel like, well, I know who I am, but when you see it in black and white and it's laid out, it's, you, it's very introspective. The process can be very introspective. So I really love it. I love taking the test. Yes. You're an I too, aren't you? I'm an ISDC. Woo! Well, we're so great. This is great. This is I know. Well, you're an I also, right? Exactly. Yes, it is the best one. Unless you're something else, and then you're totally cool too. So, so that's see. I just learned something new that is very cool. You also have been a member of Toastmasters for a while. So fill me in yeah. because I'm bragging on you. It's great to brag on others, especially when they're fabulous. But yeah, Toastmaster has been a part of that. Wow, funny enough, it'll be six years in September. Fun uh, started back in 2013 in fall, listening to one of Brian Tracy's audiobooks. I mentioned Toastmasters, and for my kid at the time, they wanted me to do a public speaking seminar because I volunteered for it out of the list of programs since that one fit me the most at the time. And I had no idea how to run a seminar. I mean, yeah, I had the speaking experience in the church and outside of the church. Yeah, I can speak. Yeah. But like a seminar, like oh, that is not my cup of tea at the time. So listened to a few audiobooks, went to the Toastmasters Club, networked with a few other speakers, ended up getting one of my best friends to do the seminar part, at least the first half of it. Yeah, one thing about that seminar I learned that I'll never do again if I do a public speaking seminar all on public speaking is the fact that I'm not going to put on the agenda audience participation at the initial keynote because that fear of public speaking statistic is so real. About 90 people were in the room to hear my buddy speak and they enjoyed it for the hour. And then after the break, about 10 people were left for the other half of the darn seminars. I'm like, oh, God, you know what? Let's sneak it in next time. That way they can overcome their fear as opposed to just making a run for it. But, yeah, Toastmasters, after that seminar, I was able to really just stay with it because they were, I'm leaving stuff on the table because I thought, you know what? Do I go one way and forget about me some more success or do I just stay with Toastmasters and I stayed with it because it was a chance for me to have a laboratory, a sandbox and a way to build my sandcastles known as talks and whatnot and just test different things with different audiences. Got a member of right now, currently three different clubs that meet on three different days and oversee about five clubs out in the Towson, Rosedale area of Maryland. So really ingrained in it back into just leadership and communication because leaders speak and they listen. And to be able to get folks to buy into your ideas, you have to be able to communicate that message effectively. If you're in a low impact networking environment for introverts where everybody has the same goal, then it's great to actually be in that environment because you get to learn from others. Everybody's the same goal in a way. Some may want more out of it than others. And that's a-okay. I'm one of those folks because it's like, hey, you got to be an outlier somewhere in life and actually try to get something out of life. It's like you, you got to channel that inner drive to want to do something good. So it's been walking a heck of a wild ride. Became a published author after that. Got on this podcast with you. Had you on my podcast. So it's really a great thing. Just taking what you have, experimenting with it, and then just seeing what alchemy you can have out of it. Tell me the story. I've read both of your books. The first one is Going North, and the second one is Stay the Course. You did something in the second one that I don't remember in the first one, and it may just be because I read that one initially. At the end of Stay the Course, you had uh, like a reference library. It was like 50 books that you love, oh, and you're yeah. an avid reader. And I love that because sometimes, you know, you don't know what the next book should be that you read or you're anyway, I loved that. And then you did quotes. Ah, uh, yep. 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 So, but I'm, I mean, there's lots I loved about the books, but you did, that was, that was a really cool ending. I really appreciated that. So it's like you have a reference awesome. to a couple different things, but tell me about the books. And I want to know the story on 
a little bit because we're going to go back in time. So if it ties in, we can wait on some of it. But the, I remember reading a story about you writing a book. Someone challenged you and you said no. And then yep. <laughs> so can you yep. tell me that story? Yeah, sure. So funny enough, there's this activity in a book called The Magic of Getting What You Want by David Schwartz, where he mentions writing an obituary about what you want to accomplish in life. I wrote an obituary about myself and, excuse me, and one of those things was to become a published author and a best-selling one at that. So after writing that obituary a few months later in Toastmasters, funny enough, at a fall conference, it was at the networking break, and this one lady, I don't know, I don't know why, for some strange reason, I was drawn to her for some reason. We met each other before, and for some reason, it was like, all right, just handed her this list of books called The 100 Books of Dynamic Living, which is in the first book. And I just handed out this list to her. She just looked at the list, and she looked right back at me, looked at the list, looked at me, and asked me where my book was on this list. And I was like, man, I'm 20 freaking three at the time. What the hell am I going to write about? <laughs> like, and I was like, I was just dumbfounded about it. I was like, you know, nah, nah. And, and, and what makes this story even more fun is the fact that it was after the obituary was written too. It's like, you get this key to unlocking that door of making it happen. It's like, she challenged me to write a book. I was like, nope. It's just like, so she was really selling it to me too. It's like, yeah, Dominic Brightman, author, best-selling author. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. No, not doing it. And she even offered to join me in the writing process. Like, hey, let's give ourselves both a year, write a, both, both write our books and publish them. And I was like, nope, I'm good. And funny enough, a few days later, went to a Toastmasters meeting. And funny enough, in between the meeting and the conference, one of my friends, a good name buddy, Sean Purvis, he had this book out called Burn the Box, and the second book was supposed to be a follow-up book called Top Shelf Customer Service, and I kept asking him about it because I bought the book and supported him. I was like, hey, support your friends, right? And every time I kept asking him, I was like, oh, God, no, that was like 2009. I don't drink that much anymore, no. And I'm like, that's good. You don't drink anymore. It's good, man. So what, what's going to store the book? Right? Oh, eventually. So he saw this as a perfect moment in the meeting to actually get him a case about the little – story that I had with the lady encounter I had with the woman at the conference because there was a Q&A session in the speech and this had nothing to do with the speech. He was like, hey, Dom, so uh, when's your book coming out, buddy? And I wanted to drop kick him right there for that one. I'm like, ah, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yep. Whatever poise I had at that moment, it was completely lost. Even one of the ladies in the yard's truck was like, yeah, we got him. I'm like, oh, crap. So I was like, you know what? Budget. I said a year from the day I'm going to publish my book and everybody was cheering me. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can't wait for it. And then after the meeting was over, ran home, wrote down 14 pages of content for the book that ended up being the last chapter of the first book and really just went into operation period and it was born about nine months later. Nice job. So it was an exercise and then a challenge, but it has to, you know, 85% of people who want to write a book don't. That's the last statistic. I. And for those of us who have written books, man, it is, it's no easy task. <laughs> Especially when it's published and it's in your hand. It's like, yeah, it feels so good. But I'm in the middle now. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> you know, I... I don't think, I mean, of course, you want to be a New York Times bestseller or an Amazon bestseller or you want to make a difference to people. And I, I mean, I just thought if one person picks it up and it makes a difference, then it was, it was a job well done. But I think if you go into it, knowing that the biggest thing is that you are helping yourself initially, you're getting your story out, fiction, nonfiction, it doesn't matter. You are, you are birthing the story that's trapped inside of you, which is what it felt like to me. I don't know about you. And um, it's an exceptional prog process, so yay. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I bet a bunch of folks asked you to help them with their books after you finally got that one done, right? <laughs> yeah, did they? Did you have a lot of people ask you to help? Yeah, I got questions. Folks asked, offered to take me out to lunch and dinner and whatnot. It's like, yeah, okay, cool, yeah. 
I was like, shoot, all right, why not? And a few of them became authors of their own after that, it, at least five that I know of. And it's like, shoot, man, it's like, I, I just thought I was going to write a book and get it out there. I didn't think about the marketing or the selling. It's like, all right, this might help somebody just put it out there, just get it done. And then I don't know, it was like, oh, shoot, wait an actual business can actually transform to a <laughs> No, people really love them. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea that, that, that it would be like the best business card you could ever own. And I'm glad because I, you know, when you go into it, like I have this story and I want to do it, maybe it will help people. It's very, it's an altruistic feeling. And then afterwards, when you realize it, you're like, oh, okay. I mean, I'm the same person that I was the day before it was published, but awesome. But it is a really great accomplishment. So then you are a best-selling author. Yep, that's where book two came in. It, it happened this past April, made number 21 under personal growth, under Christian business. So I'm like, you know what? This is awesome. It happened. Oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now folks ask for the third book. I'm like, oh, man, I want to take like a three-year hiatus. Like, come on, man. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to ask if there was a third book because once you've written a book and people ask you that, you're like, yeah, where's your first one? Yeah, I thought so. So, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you just said so no plan on the third book since you just brought it up no there's a plan on it it's just that you know just my inner late my inner grizzly bear just wants to chill out in the cave and you know yawn and be lazy for a moment but you know no third book's coming out it's gonna be like a beyonce album it's gonna just show up out of nowhere do you is it going to follow i'm guessing the same thread that the first two did it's definitely going to follow the same thread i have an idea for it it may be a book based on questions and answers so like giving a set of questions because there's a few questions i've picked up from other books i've read and then modified them for my own and asked them of my own self my own life is like you know what this might help someone else is like because i remember funny enough that comments <laughs> like yeah book you can't read every book in your life some some books leave you more questions than answers i'm like oh okay crap well that's one guy's opinion so you know what it, it might be a good little spin on that because it's because some some folks still don't think, and if they think, they can probably think even bigger. It's like you need to get around folks to help you to think a lot bigger. Heck, even yourself, Jenny, mentioned the wonderful mentor you had in grade school that saw something positive in you and something great in you. It's like you just need to be around folks like that and then ask yourself questions that will help you get to that level to help light a candle on someone else's flame. The reason I'm glad that it came up is because my next question was going to be about your podcast, but you interview people who are authors, and I would think that the volume of information you've received from the podcast, from the questions you've asked and the information, they, like that would be at least one book in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Down the road, that's probably going to be a project down the road, similar to what Tim Ferriss does in his past two releases. There's definitely going to be uh, Going North podcast, the book, so like siphon money back into the production of the podcast, you know, keep uh, some metaphorical gas in the tank. But yeah, that's is definitely going to be down the road as well. That's definitely a book. I mean, 15 books in a lifetime is the goal, so we'll see how close I get. All right. So now take me back. Where you told You said where you were living. Can you tell us again? Oh, yeah, what, the, the land of charm, crime, and crabs known as Baltimore, right? <laughs> I, I'm, yes. So. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> charm and crabs, perfect. Um, <laughs> tell me about growing up. You've mentioned church before, and, and you, you did mention that briefly. I know your story. For uh, I know lots of people know your story, but for people who don't, you got comfortable in front of an audience because of church. So take me through that and your family. I want to hear about your family. Oh, yeah. Funny enough, my wonderful parents, mother and father, they were a little more seasoned when I came around. My 
Well, like funny enough, my dad had like gray hair. He always had gray hair and a whole full beard and goatee and everything. And for years, I thought he was like 40 until I got into like a uh, later grade school. He was like, wait, you're 40? Like, oh, okay, yeah. And then it's like, oh, yeah, really in the 60s. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dang, okay. Sweet, there's hope for me. And funny enough, my, my mother, wonderful lady, she worked for Motor County government. She was a case manager as well. She loved helping people, helping people get jobs, and especially some folks who may have recently got out of prison as well, just helping them find employment as well and just helping out people. And she also loved to teach as well. So whenever there was a chance to do some teaching, especially after she retired, wow, that was like 16 years ago now. Wow, yeah, she usually just loves to teach kids, especially about the Bible and whatnot. And they were the the guardians of my life. My parents are my guardian, my guardian angels in a way, even though one's fully guardian angel at the moment. And just really learning from them and just having them and just with just them. My father was a man of faith. He prayed every morning. Sometimes I would hear him praying like, Lord, please protect my child on the way to school. And at six years of public school then six years of private school so grades one through six and that was around that was public school so i had elementary and middle the pre-k and all the good stuff the other six was private school went to christian school got some bible lessons so my parents are a little more lenient let me sleep in on sunday mornings on occasion so it's like yeah you get bible classes every week we'll be nice to you you don't have to go to sunday school today and just stuff like that and just being with them and heck even my brother as well he, he he was older than me too and playing with them and wrestling then he, he you know it couldn't be too rough because like freaking like 15 20 years older than me it's like i'm i'm like freaking five or whatnot it's like yeah it's got to be careful of a guy wrestling with him and all that stuff so that was really a little bit about growing up uh with my wonderful parents my older brother as well they've always been there for me always spoke positive thoughts into me they always cared for me they even wanted me to experience some things i mean i couldn't get the full experience because my father even though he's also a spiritual man he also was a veteran as well was in world war ii also served in the korean war had a couple combat jumps in the 82nd airborne division but after but after that when i came around it was basically senior citizen status no no traveling or whatnot and couldn't really experience that part but he, he he was still kind and all that other good stuff. Taught, taught me some things and all that wonderful smooth jazz. And even in church, reciting, reciting Bible scriptures on every Sunday in front of at least 800 to 1,000 people every Sunday. It's like if, if you do that at a young age, it's like ah, it's not it's not so bad when you actually get up on the platform for the first time. So just having that great foundation, great foundation. So your parents were just older when you were born and your brother was older, but otherwise, totally normal. Great childhood. Yeah, yeah old soul, Sonic youth. So you, you finished high school. What was next? Yeah, high school, went to a community college, CCBC, got, went for my IT degree. Funny enough, last semester, got into car accident, wasn't really feeling the whole IT thing at first, but still was able to push through with it. And actually went for a certification test and really wasn't too passionate about it because I was winning there for the money. It was like, yeah, I go for IT degrees, say you get a job as soon as you graduate. And funny enough, I had a part-time job at the library and shortly after that certification exam that I failed, they actually offered me the full-time position, funny enough. I'm like, oh, okay, shoot, I'll, I'll take that. I like, like the bennies, the, the money. It's like, okay, health insurance, vacation time, leave time, that's good. Also afterwards. <laughs> you worked in the in the library in high school. Tell tell us about that because your ex, you took that experience and turned it into something pretty wonderful. When I've heard when I've read you what you've said about it. So how did uh, that happen? And you had a great perspective. Oh yeah, yeah. So. I've- that was actually when I was 15. It was summer. Mom wanted me to get some job experience. The local library had openings for a summer youth internship program. was brought on, and they liked, liked me enough to actually want me back in the fall when I turned 16. So it's like, so like legally work. And it was really great. It was a transformational process. 
process because I'm an introvert. I usually recharge by being alone. And even though I was at church doing being a church usher as well, opening, welcoming people as a kid, it's like still wasn't really comfortable around people. I, I still wasn't out of my shell in a way. And when you're working in a public library, you get all sorts of crazy characters and wonderful people all at once. It's kind of like an organization. The best and worst thing about the organization is the people. <laughs> it's like people leave people, not organizations. And there's also wonderful people that make it great. So had mentors at work, had this guy, security guard always telling funny stories, making everybody laugh, flirting with some of the ladies that came in, modeled some of my behavior after him, had a great supervisor, really hard-charging lady came in as a, a volunteer manager, and she just rose through the ranks really quickly in a couple of years, became manager of her whole department, and really cares about personal development, personal growth, always reading, and she's one of my role models as well. And that and just interacting with people and customer service, it's really a great thing for me. And that was one of the best things that happened for me in my life because being around others helped me to transform in the process. And really what you're around the most, you'll eventually become. So you'll eventually be able to <laughs> have some stories to tell and all the other good stuff and really just keep on going because libraries in the 21st century, they're more than books circulation is down at least in certain libraries across the world because most folks come to the libraries especially public ones for the, the wi-fi the programs the computers and stuff for their kids like most most of my day is helping folks with their computer troubles like if they're on a website like a job website applying for a job and some of the websites suck personally they suck really bad <laughs> like it, they suck really bad and just navigating through those resumes even with the kids sometimes, things like that. So just that's really just one of the greatest things I ever liked. If you, if you have a public library nearby, just stop by, pay a visit, like dust off the old library cards, see if it still works. We're more than the card catalog. We don't even carry those anymore. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, but we don't need to talk about that anymore. Um <laughs> <laughs> But the libraries, you can actually – like the library here, I've reserved space in it for um, seminars. There's all kinds of things you can do. You took it, though – I don't know where your love of reading came, if it was already instilled in you before that, and you just capitalized on it. But you you were an avid reader, so you were forcing yourself out of your comfort zone through your customer service and talking to people, you're also learning a whole bunch of unique skills by helping people. And then you were also pushing yourself to become better by voraciously reading. When did the yeah. reading start? Yeah, that started off funny enough, or at least it, the voracious reading started off around New Year's Eve 2013 after the car accident. And for some reason, I don't know why it was, it wasn't a certain, it was, it was one of those reflection moments where you're, you're at the john or whatever. And you're like, you know what, let's do this new year's mantra thing where you set a one to three word theme for a year. And 2013 was my year of rebirth. And after picking up one of John Maxwell's books, the five loves of leadership and reading more of his stuff and just really taking action on the activities in the books. That's the thing about, reading especially nonfiction books actually take some of the activities in the books for well not for granted but actually do them and see what happens because one of the activities I call it the mirror force method it's where you ask a few folks in your network in like close family or friends to just list around a good three to five things that they like about you and three to five things that they've noticed about you that you can improve on. And when I got the list back of things, like some of the things like, all right, that makes sense. Like what? Anti-social tendencies? Really? Like, oh, okay. I'll let, let me get out of that. And taking the advice and working on it like that really just helps. So the voracious reading came after the whole like car accident moments, like, ah, something's got to change here. It's like not just nickelback music, but like something's got to change here. No kidding. I want, okay, so you've referenced it a couple times. We can, you, you were taking the IT test. You weren't really passionate. You've been working in the library for several years at this point. And at 21, 
Oh, yeah. Dive in. Dive into what happened. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that that was a fun one. Yeah, (laughs) woke up that day on the way to class, funny enough. Left the gas station, filling up the car, and then it, it was raining earlier that morning, like a few hours before, but the streets were mostly dry. It wasn't really damp, and like, I don't know, after I pull out the gas station drive, about to make a left turn, the dumb brake jams in my car, and then skid into the curb, and then trying to redirect the car over, end up hitting in the middle of the lane, and car was basically down. <laughs> and I was just shell shocked. For at least a good half an hour, I didn't know what the heck was going on. I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is one heck of a birthday gift. Like, okay. <laughs> it was then, on your birthday? Yeah, it was on my birthday, yeah. On your 21st birthday, you get into this car accident. Yep. Okay, keep going. Holy <laughs> happy, happy, I didn't know it was on your birthday. Holy cow, okay. Yeah, yeah, probably one of the greatest gifts in my life. <laughs> Actually, that's something to say during speeches now. But yeah, funny enough, uh, after that, like after that, me just just called, called AAA, and then called my mom. Like, hey, uh, hey, mom, I'm in this uh, car accident here uh, on on Lower Baltimore Drive, and it's like, oh my gosh, and like, I'm, I'm good, no broken bones, I'm alright, and then. They they get over like ten minutes later, and in between the times, uh, I was next to the Baltimore Gas Electric Factory, and this one lady, she was really really kind. She just walked up and then was like, "Hey, hey, you okay?" Just knocking on the glass and everything. And then I finally came to. It's like, "Oh, okay." I just woke out of the stupor and whatnot, and then told her what happened, and then she called her tow truck over to try to get the car out the way of the road because it was it was a busy street at the time man well not too busy like not like expressway busy but it was real busy at the time and then parents got over then like after that they basically called off the truck because triple a came finally after fighting through <laughs> the backup traffic from everybody not being able to drive around and then the police coming over and then the dude like oh crap i have to write a report now because i have to call a tow truck <laughs> there's like three different tow trucks that day it was crazy the one that the lady had for the bg truck that got called off and then AAA, and then like the cop, whatever, and then out of nowhere, it's like, oh, after the AAA tow truck up Robbie, he's like, all right, good, I'll have to do no paperwork. <laughs> and just seeing these cars just slowly just driving past, staring awkwardly at you, making sure it's like, hey, all right, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, I was like, hey, can y'all like just stop staring, would you? <laughs> like, go about your business, nobody's dead, the cars is down but hey I, I was still alive no broken bones and still alive to tell the tale ended up getting the car fixed it was like uh probably about a month of driving one of my mom's old cars for about a month but it was a nice uh, experience though and i was really grateful that i was still alive back then and the fact that like hey it's it could have been a lot worse. It could have flew out the car. The airbags could have popped out the darn steering wheel. Could have had a broken arm or something just from reaction or whatever. And the airbags didn't didn't jump out or nothing. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So you feel real grateful after it's over. Yeah. And how, how did that alter? <laughs> that's, that's an understatement. How did that alter the trajectory of your life. How did that change things that day? And I know it was not maybe that day, but really soon after your dad. So how did it, you, you were doing the IT thing and not passionate about it and this happened and it really interrupted where you were going. Yeah. 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 It's funny enough later that day, mom was like, Hey, you, you, you can't give up here. It's like, you, you can't stop now. You've come too far to quit. Cause this was basically the second to last semester to get the associates for the IT degree. And took her, took her car, went to class that night and came back home. They had a birthday cake for me. We all sang happy birthday. I thanked them, hugged everybody. I was like, Hey, all right, I'll, I'll keep going. I, I was still shell shocked from all of it. It was, it was just the, it was, it was just really depression, depression really from that moment because that really stemmed from the fact that just seeing my hero decay, like my father, because 
the month before the car accident, my father got lost for 48 hours somewhere 45 miles out of where he normally is. And that just lets us taking away his license because he couldn't drop him more because he don't want to get lost again. And my mother knew the fact that, hey, I can't have two folks down because she, she can drive, but she's getting up there in age, too. And it's like, this this is the future here. So she, she made sure that I actually stayed encouraged and actually kept pushing along and was able to shake off the cobwebs metaphorically and keep on pushing after that, which led to the whole New Year's mantra every year, become a, a voracious reader and try to at least get the most positive things I can out of life. So that's really how it happened. I mean, it's kind of like the whole role not being built in a day thing. It's like recovery. Recovery takes time. It's like, if, if you feel bad, it's like, all right, I'll give myself permission to feel bad. And I was like, all right, I feel bad now, but what am I going to do about it? Like try to turn it around in a way. And it's not easy for everybody. There's levels to everything, everything. So your dad's diagnosis was actually before the car accident. And I thought it was after. So I apologize for that. So he had been diagnosed. I'm sorry. I can't keep your story straight. Exactly. (laughs) Um, He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Yeah. He was lost for a couple days. I mean, it was pretty, it was very traumatic. My grandmother, I, I understand what you were going through. So anybody who's had any family member who's gone through dementia or Alzheimer's is going to 150% relate to what you went through. So dad was diagnosed and his license was removed and then you got into the car accident. So it was kind of, it, I knew it was a double whammy. I just had it backwards. Hey, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> it all happens. It feels like it happens at once. Like looking back. <laughs> well, it might, even at the time, didn't it? Like, Holy cow, come on, give me a break. So did you stop school or did you keep going at that point? Cause your mom was, encouraging you to i just kept going mom encouraged me to because funny enough i back then the schedule was it was wow it was a thursday too wow it's coming back yeah so the classes that morning and at least one of them it was a three-hour it class i think it was like network security or something of course i didn't go to that obviously and then there was another class that happened that night which was like the introductory class of like I think it was like seven to like nine o'clock or whatever. Went to that one. So still went to class. Was able to get out of that and actually pass both. Or was it three? Yeah, it was three classes. That yeah, yeah, definitely three classes, and they were all four hours courses too. It it, <laughs> it was pretty intense. It was like yeah, ninety minutes of instruction, probably about an hour of actual testing and all the other good stuff. So it was able to actually let them away through and actually <laughs> get a passing grade in the courses. So it, it was a process. But you weren't passionate about it. Nah. With- <laughs> 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 so you're not who I'm calling for IT, right? No, that was not the it thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So you decide with dad and with the car accident and feeling depression, you're going to make this New Year's mantra and you did it. And I love what you said. You can learn a million things. If you don't do anything with it, it doesn't matter. You can get actionable advice from a speaker or from a book or from a podcast. If you don't do anything with it, you might as well not get it. So you actually started reading and took action and now tie in with Toastmasters, how did, how long did it take? How was that process from when you made that first mantra on and your dad keep, keep going with your dad's story too. Cause it parallels all this. Yeah, it, it does in a way. Cause I'm um, 2013. That was a great year. Read over like 60, 70 books that year. Got a great mindset incorporated some things like the par method questions the whole what good what am i going to do today what good did i do today 2014 was strength and that was when my taekwondo instructor at the time he wanted to have his own gym he was also going for his crossfit certification and he was very passionate about combining fitness with martial arts because some because a lot certain martial arts artists or at least masters you see see some of the older ones, they may have the whole dad bod sort of thing going on. I mean, they can still kick your ass, but still, it's like you see the whole dad bod coming on. It's like, 
he didn't want to want that to be the thing. He always talked about how we went for his black belt in Taekwondo as a instructor, told him to do 200 push-ups. <laughs> and at, but long story short, though, after that, he started his own CrossFit box across the Gainesville, fought him over there, did the Taekwondo with him, and then I got into CrossFit. And my God, it's intense. But um, I was able to get to the point where I was able to deadlift. My one rep max was 355 pounds. <laughs> at the end of that year for deadlifting. And that wasn't even on my radar. I mean, like the whole better cardio, better health and everything, that was a side benefit of Taekwondo and everything. But adding the CrossFit onto it, just because my instructor had the place to do it, I was like, you know, what the heck? And then just getting that level of strength and more confidence too. And little did I know that that helped with two things like shoveling snow and also frustrating my dad at times when he would try to leave the house. Cause even though he lost a, a lot of weight and he was probably a hundred pounds soaking wet, nothing but bones. He, he was, he still had that strength. So it was like all that CrossFit came in for like that, like they got to restrain the guy <laughs> before he tries to get out the house and, quote unquote go home when he's already home and and also just remembering to be patient and realizing hey this is almost like a like a three-year-old kid asking why every five minutes like it's just got to keep that mindset and then of course 2015 was kaizen continuous improvement and rebirth i was i was born again i was stronger 2015 i actually took on a life coach and he actually helped me to see things a little bit bigger than what i was so with toastmasters there's the regular club leadership levels and then there's also district leadership where you're overseeing multiple clubs in an area so i decided to become an area director area governor for those who may be familiar with the older terminology yep oh, that sounds familiar and shit and that was a great time because I was like 22 at the time and I was like really and like area director really me and it was an opportunity to just expand my network meet a whole different group of people and actually being able to get that challenge to actually do more because that was actually the same year I was challenged to do the book and that's where massive action came in with 2016 let's publish the book make it happen I gave myself a year. The book was thin because I only had a year to do it, and I didn't write every day like some people do. It's like, you know what? I wrote every weekend after work. So it's it's really been one heck of a great journey in the learning process, too, and that's the good thing about nowadays with the thin book because a friend of mine named Marty McNair, he has this thing called Mikasa Sukasa where he's helping folks overcome addiction and they're trying to stay clean and one guy noticed like hey this book is thin it's so thin the guys might actually take this book and read it so that's an encouragement out there for anyone who's looking to write a book it doesn't have to be 200 700 pages it can be thin because folks got low attention spans and if someone's recovering from addiction and needs something small to read you may be that ticket to helping them overcome that that's a great piece of advice, actually. Yeah, don't don't minimize the smallness. <laughs> it's still valuable information. I didn't think about the fact that yours. Well, I read yours online on, so I didn't have the physical copy in my hand, and uh, I never even thought about that. That yours was smaller or thinner, because because that's not what's important. It's the content. Yeah. Where was your dad in the journey? Because I know that was hitting you. You're doing all of this massive self-improvement, pushing yourself to 50 plus books a year, having a mantra every year, doing a lot of self-development. I thought you were 23, maybe it was 22 when you um, got that status in Toastmasters and you were really young for that. Yeah. Cause the average member is 35 plus years old. So, <laughs> That, I mean, that's incredible. So while that's all happening, your dad is degenerating. What, what happened with his process? Yeah, so with him, yeah, that was one heck of a year. So shortly after the book was published, we had to take him to the hospital. And this is going to be some strange advice, but if you're going to go to the hospital, nobody wants to go, but don't go on a Monday. Don't, don't go on a Monday because – 
the thing about Alzheimer's is the many strokes that come with it. And I believe my father had that because he couldn't move at all. It was the weekend and we thought he might have hit something because he was at a fall risk. And since he was at a fall risk, we put him back in bed, asked him if he could move and he was moving okay. But Monday he couldn't move at all. So we just basically had to take him to the hospital and after and that was the long that was that was the worst hospital visit ever because it was me and my brother at the time i had to pick him up put him in the car and then drive him over we had to take out the wheelchair put him in a wheelchair get him in for everything the triage and all the other nonsense and i was just so pissed because this one chick was so mad demanding a wheelchair like where's my wheelchair chick was like freaking 500 pounds and she hopped out of one wheelchair and spun into another wheelchair like she was in a low rider or something i'm like mother fudger why are you in a wheelchair (laughs) if you can move like that and just stuff like that and then leaving him in there and after that he was in the hospital for a week then we got him into a nursing home after that because we Everybody was burnt out, my mother especially. Out of everybody, she was taking it the hardest because they were together for 56 years at the time. And that it's it's really hard because she's seen him at his worst and his best. And this was really rock bottom, well, beyond rock bottom, if there is even such a phase of life. And that was where he was. And she needed a break. And it, it, was, a, it was both a blessing and a curse in a way because the blessing was, Everybody got somewhat of a mental break from that in the way we could still visit him during visiting hours, but also the fact that he was in an unfamiliar territory and some of his inner PTSD was kicking in. He was sometimes talking about he'd like try to break out of the place or whatever because it's not home or whatever. And funny enough, we actually was able to get him back home for Christmas for a couple of hours and we had to take him back so that way we could keep him in the nurse another week so that since the insurance is covering it because the insurance is covering a month's day at the time and little did I know the day after around 2.30 at night he fell and cracked four ribs and his lung collapsed and then he had to be taken to the emergency room we ran over to the hospital and they were able to do an emergency surgery and preserve his life he he that that toughness still stayed through and then funny not funny enough but like a few months later it was it was a blessing in disguise because yeah the insurance ran out for one end for the one nursing home but moved him over to another one and it, it was it was really rough for him because it's like he just had a good time. Mom was happy. We were all happy for Christmas, playing the old Christmas music, giving him some food, probably the best food he had in weeks because all the nursing home food wasn't really good, to be honest. It didn't look good at all. Sometimes they snuck him some food when we visited him. And he never really recovered, recovered from that. And just week by week. And finally on March 13th, he, he, he just passed away. And it was... Very, very sad because of just seeing that whole transition period because I remember the night before that Sunday, we stayed there until around 1030 at night. Looking in his eyes, it looked like stained glass windows in his eyes. And I was, I, 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 I was surprised. He, I just couldn't really fathom that. I've never seen someone's eyes look like that before, just seeing someone go through that death process. And... It was a very rough time. It was a very rough time, but it was an actual, I guess, fulfilling time as well because on that Monday, the hospice care, he was given an honorary certificate for his service as a veteran because, funny enough, for years on end, he never went back to the VA for any help at all. He actually was a bus driver after he got out of service a couple a few years after marrying my mom and he was a bus driver for 35 years and he used the money from that and uh benefits from that and he didn't get that help from the va until about a year before his death and he started in that day and there's the studies about like the fact that some sometimes if someone's going through the death process they 
something maybe happening on the outside, on the inside. I'm not sure if on, from his vision that he was being honored at a heavenly gate or something with the angels, because it, it, it was, because we all shed tears that day. The, one of the ladies came in, she played the guitar. It was really great. Played some hymns and put on his airborne cap. Tears coming down his eyes. It's like he had an idea was there. And then he passed away a few hours later. Cause funny enough, I was actually planning to do a Toastmasters club visit to do a whole report or whatever, to do a report in the club, canceled that. And I was still scheduled to work that evening at five. I went there at five and I got the call around 7.30. It's like, hey, your dad's dead. My mom called me. I'm like, oh, dang. So that, in a way, kind of solved the issue of like, all right, I had to work till 9 that night. And I saw the his mystery of, hey, how can I get visiting hours? Like, how am I going to bust into the place? I mean, I got a cousin who works there. Maybe she could let me in. That solved that issue. And after he passed away, we went home and then a snowfall came. The city was basically shut down. That was really some solace in that moment because that snowstorm was a blessing in disguise because the day after we got it, our our home turned into a call center, fielding calls left to right from family, friends, and everybody, and just settling some funeral issues and like how we're going to do the whole celebration life thing. So that was really how it all happened. So basically just the book itself in that year and getting that out. I mean, I got on TV that, that year, mom, she, she read some of the book to him. So he, and funny enough, he, she mentioned <laughs> the part when I, when I thank both them in the beginning dedication of the book. And she told me that, Hey, he, he said that guy's really that book of okay, yes, his wit came out in that moment. But yeah, that was a really trying time. That that was a really trying time. I mean, we we all got to go through the grief process, and everybody takes it at their own pace. So, <laughs> and you you decided through all this. I mean, I still think it's pretty fantastic. One, your age, and two, how much self improvement you were doing through this whole process with your dad. And I'm so glad he got to know about the book. I wasn't sure the timing. And then you pushed through, you started the podcast and wrote a second book. So your way of pushing through is kind of more self-improvement. Yeah, that and uh, dirty bulking, eating everything in sight. <laughs> oh, I forgot about this. You, you actually, you did have a lot of grief and depression after your dad. I'm not minimizing this. I forgot. I did read somewhere that you put on a bunch of weight, like you were healthy and doing self improvement, and then you have me bulking. <laughs> That's what I called, and I was like, "Yeah, it's like it's not gaining weight. It's dirty bulking. That's all. You know, it's getting some muscle eventually." No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a runner. We call it carb loading. And I'm like, you don't need to carb load 4,000 calories for running two miles. It does not. <laughs> so you did, you, you, you dealt with a, your um, depression and your grief with <laughs> dirty bulking. <laughs> that was kind of your outlet. Am I correct? Or correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, you're right. Cause I mean, yeah, because I, I lost track of it. It was probably about, I think it was June 2017 that year. I, books book sales were down because it, it was just horrible. I, I lost track of everything. It's like, book, forget that. No, let me just get back to work and whatnot. And then I didn't know I was gaining all this weight. And then I was just running on empty. So for those who may be in leadership, I recommend a book called Leading on Empty by Wayne Caderio. Because that, I wish I would have read that book five years ago. However, I'm not sure if I would have appreciated it last year when I read it. Because it talks about how this pastor, he actually collapsed in the middle of the pulpit because he had this positive attitude that was so rock solid strong that it masked a lot of things. And that's what happened to me. I, I had the same issue because I have a rock solid positive mental attitude, but it's like that can be a detriment in the way to me because, it, yeah, you feel healthy or feel strong, but there's some underlying things that you might need to get checked out in the process. And 
like at that at the end of the month of June, Toastmasters, everything, I was burnt out. I was probably a good 254 pounds compared to the 180 pounds that I started off with when I started <laughs> in 2015 after CrossFit and gaining all that strength. So, yeah, it, 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 it was that. And then just realizing, hey, you got to refocus and just do something to actually continue to get the voice out there and getting the brand out there. And that's kind of where the podcast came to be and kind of went back to that whole altruism thing. It's like interviewing authors. Cause I, cause like, all right, I wrote a book. All right. What's that I can do next? Oh, okay. Maybe get on radio shows or podcasts. How do you do that? Oh, okay. And then it's like, all right, let me at least provide a platform for authors, especially first time authors to do that. So that way they get that practice under their belt. Because if one good person sees something in you and they listen to you, and you can run for a lifetime. So it's like trying to help folks run for a lifetime. <laughs> and I bet you probably love that analogy. <laughs> I, I do love that one. I <laughs> might steal that. See, sometimes you come out with stuff that I just need to steal, and that's all right. Um, when did the real – it's interesting that you said that sometimes a positive attitude math stuff, that's really made me – it's making me stop and think and pause because – you're right. You just, you're so positive and upbeat. You're not recognizing stuff that maybe you should recognize. That's very interesting. And when did you realize, yeah, the book and you need to get back on, when did you realize, okay, the weight's an issue and I need to do, continue to move forward, not just clock in and, and gain weight. Yeah, there's two things. It was uh, the meeting with my boss at that summer and the fact that I tried to put on some pants and they weren't fitting me as well. And it's like, Hey, wait a second. Why is my wallet not fitting in this pocket here? <laughs> yeah, I bet not. <laughs> but yeah, that was really the, but yeah, the really meeting with my boss sort of thing because I was falling and certain there is that a good performance of and all the good stuff. She was kind of me. Still got to raise that year and all this stuff. But the week after kind of, screwed up some things and then she pulled out these old performance reviews right before I got promoted during the promotion and it mentioned I was a top performer for these years on end and then to the last two I wasn't a top performer anymore and that really led to the whole thesis of book number two stay the course the elite performer's seven secret keys to sustainable success it's awareness being aware of yourself and aware of everything around you in different ways so being aware of your mindset being aware of your time being aware aware of the stuff that's influencing you, being aware of who's in your circle that's influencing you, and being aware of your habits. I wasn't aware of my habits, my time, and my mindset. I wasn't really aware. I was just keeping my nose on the grindstone, brute force, just charge ahead, and then eventually create something. But if you're half dead or dead halfway through the process, it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> so awareness is the major key that allows the other seven keys to really take place and hopefully add to your arsenal because that's really where it came from a place of a lack of awareness. I wasn't aware of what's going on. It's like the whole watch the better roses. It's like, oh, there's some thorns in the roses, buddy. It's like, you gotta notice the thorns too. So that's <laughs> really where it came from. And that's where book two came from a place of, you know what? Yeah. A positive is great. But you know what? Let me at least keep that and be aware to don't have delusions of grandeur. I loved this. Well, I, I enjoyed both of your books, but book two, definitely, now that I know where it came from, I understand why I connected with it in a different way. And those seven, the seven steps, I mean, it's not a lot, but until they're right in front of you, um, I loved, there's so much about that book that I loved. And time was, time's a huge one that people don't, consider, you know, where is your time going? And like, when are you the most productive? Just because I'm the most productive in the morning doesn't mean you are. I, I think people really need to see, to look at it in a bigger picture. So I, I loved that book a lot. Um, and I, you, it also is accountability. You can use the book to check out where you are in each one of those steps and kind of where you need to, uh, make some changes. So I really appreciate knowing where you were in your life when you read it. That makes an even bigger impact for when all, all of our listeners pick it up and read it. How did you lose the weight? 
And I want to, I, I want to end you, you give back all the time. I mean, everything about you has been through this whole journey. It is who you are and what your business is and your podcast, but I, I want to end on a word of advice. So tell me about the weight and then that gives you some time to percolate on that piece of advice. Yeah. So the best way to lose some weight is get bigger clothes. That's right. (laughs) 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 Nailed it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. So that, and that's the advice also. (laughs) (laughs) Man, unless you want tight fitting clothes that, well, you know, never mind. No, but seriously though, what, what helped me to really get some of the weight off is getting more sleep and kind of went to the book on that with the habit of awareness thing with the whole leading on empty phase. My, my father with the old dementia thing, he would wake up in the middle of the night, walk through the house, sneak through the house or whatever, thinking he was, I don't know what he was thinking to be honest. And just waking up in the middle of the night with that. And then driving all over the DMV as well. And just wasn't getting enough sleep. There'd be nights where I'd get maybe two to three hours of sleep, maybe even no sleep. And I'd just drink some coffee, maybe some Red Bull, something to keep me up during the day. And that was just bad. And eventually got to the point where I snored. And it was like, shoot, I didn't know I snored. <laughs> That's how bad it was. So for those out there who may be a part of team no sleep, try to get at least a good seven and a half hours of sleep every night if you can because that was one of the major things that led to the weight gain is that I wasn't getting enough sleep and also kind of slacked off on the working out piece as well so just getting enough rest some sleep also not trying to eat everything in sight and drinking more water as well that's definitely good of course you'll bleed the lizard a lot more than normal with the extra water but it's always good i mean it's always good to stay hydrated especially during the summer so water rest cutting the portions in half (laughs) you'll get the pounds down you'll sweat it down sweat it off and then maybe you'll get a jen taylor bod (laughs) you you might not want the jen your voice is a little deep for the jen taylor bod very curvy very curvy yeah, yeah. It might I, I, not look right on you. Just nah, saying. It, it, it wouldn't. I'd probably have to use, use some skin lightening cream, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're, 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 you're white. <laughs> you, you don't sound like a five foot eight, blonde haired, blue eyed woman, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> that's right. Call me the health inspector. Oh, my God. <laughs> Exactly. I got so, the soap bar right here. <laughs> Let me stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I said in the beginning we were going to laugh. We're going to talk about tough stuff and we're going to laugh. That's my favorite. So how would you end for people that are really struggling? You know, grief is a big word. It, it can encompass a lot more than death. Um, anxiety, depression, grief. What is your advice other than reading your books? I already said that. That's my advice. But what would you say? What was really what got you through? I mean, I know awareness. Was it faith? Was it family? Yeah, faith, family is also great as well. And awareness is the main thing, like I mentioned before. And also self-care. Self-care as well. Give yourself space to grieve. There'd be times I'd be in a random room where there's no one around. At the, at the library, it's like, yeah, I'm just busting out the tears because certain songs bring back memories. and like, oh, shooting and bust out the tears in my place. And give yourself space to grieve as well. That it, It's okay. That, that It's okay to cry, even as a dude. I mean, it, I got some pride in me. And it, 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 it can be a hindrance, but, like, just find a place, give yourself a corner. Give yourself that, give yourself that space to grieve. Let the tears come out. And then... Just keep it moving afterwards if you can. And it's always different for everybody. There's the whole seven stages of grief sort of thing. No, I don't know all seven stages of grief. I've probably been through them already, and I have no idea what they were in order. And people go out of order (laughs) with them. But just give yourself that time, that space to do it. And just give yourself 
not only that time, but also the, the meditation time as well, just to be open with it and just accept the fact that they're gone and that they may be gone in human form, but they are still alive in soul and spirit in a way as a guardian angel in a way. And just making sure that you're grateful for the life and everything that you've done and just keep sharing stories about them. Heck, like I've, some folks that hear me in certain Toastmaster meetings, like, man, I've never heard that story from him before. And it's like, it's like, yeah, I'm a pretty private guy for the most part, except for the naked podcaster talk. But yeah, pretty much a private guy. It's like, yeah, certain stories, like, yeah, let me just give you the content stories about someone else's success. Yeah, but yeah, just sharing stories and that'll heal as well. Just give yourself that time to heal because time eventually heals in a way and funny enough there is a part that folks don't want to tell you about apparently the second year is worse than the first one and i can kind of agree with that in a way because it's like yeah people don't want to tell you that because it's like man you're already feeling bad it's like shoot let's not have them jump off the bridge but just like it every every year gets better in a way but there's parts where it can get worse so just being open to that and realizing hey <laughs> i'm still alive to tell the tale let me share the good things that they've done and hopefully they get inspired by it dom thank you so much for sharing your story with us today i really appreciate you i appreciate you too <laughs> Yes, indeed. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.